Welcome to the After the Fact Podcast. I am your host, Luke Matthews. We are broadcasting from the Portland Retro Gaming Expo in Portland, Oregon this morning on the second day of the con. And I am joined today by three of the organizers of the convention, uh, Rick Wise, John Hancock, and Chuck Van Pelt. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing well. Doing well. Um, I guess I want to start a little bit. Why don't you guys each introduce yourself and kind of give us uh, a little insight into what each of you does for the convention. I'll, uh, like I said, I'm, my name is John Hancock, and uh, I'm one of the many organizers of the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. And uh, I help out uh, with uh, the tournament and the free play area, and also uh, help uh, have a console timeline. And like I said, I'm pretty much a, a, a kitchen sink collector that um, likes to help with tournaments, run run video game tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I collect multiple systems, and, and uh, I just am really passionate about the history of video games okay. and really like to share that with, with other people. And like it helps the, helps the community understand video games and the culture. I'm, I'm mostly just kind of a kitchen sink information. If someone has a okay. question about, like, hey, what do you think of this? Or where did this come from? I'm kind of the person that they go to and like, oh, I, I think it's this or... Or if I know it, but typically I'm kind of the kitchen sink, like, hey, what, what is this about? Okay. And so. John's like our human encyclopedia. <laughs> so whenever somebody yes. comes to us and says, hey, what, do you have this system from 1977 that no one's ever heard of? We send them to John. <laughs> uh, my name's Rick Wise. Um, my main job is uh, recruiting vendors and also uh, uh, getting homebrews for our show. Okay. What kind of homebrews do you guys usually get for this kind of thing? Uh, mostly um, Atari 2600. We do okay. get a lot of NES, and uh, we have another one um, for the Game Boy Color this year. Oh, nice. That's cool. I'm Chuck Van Pelt, and um, I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades guy, I guess. I do a lot of the uh, marketing aspects of the show. Um, the uh, website I manage, um, organizational stuff, anything to do with... Uh, Graphics work. Um, I just try to fill in wherever I can. Okay. Which is quite a bit. <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Helps out with the auction. He also yes. uh, was very, um, he's very creative and artistic and was, uh, I would say, the main person behind our wonderful trophies that we gave out. Uh, I noticed those over in, the, uh, over in the free play room yesterday. Those are pretty cool. The one with the power glove in the middle. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we um, we all get together before the show and uh, at my house, and I have like a lot of game system parts, and so 
all summer I've been collecting old trophies, like 70s ones, really obnoxious ones from garage sales. <laughs> they, That's awesome. Um, yeah, they, uh, you know, most people want to give them away. They're, they think it's garbage, and well, it kind of is, but um, so I gather a bunch of trophies up, and then we meet, and so we'll pick one off the shelf, and we'll say, okay, this will be the first place in Nintendo 64 trophy, and we'll start pulling parts out of bins and figuring out what we can <laughs> assemble and get the hot glue gun out and stuff, and so it's kind of like a fun party for us to put those together. and A lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's a good time. It's a very social part of the, uh, of the show. A craft party, basically. Uh, it is, totally. <laughs> well put. Well put. It's That's pretty the, yeah, awesome. It is. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh so the show's this. This is the fifth year of the Portland Retro Show, right? Um, yes. How did the show get started? Where did the? What are the origins of the show? Who who was kind of the founders of the show? How did this all get together? Uh, it was founded in uh, 1997 as NWCGE, which is the Northwest Classic Game Enthusiasts. Okay. Um, the founder was Lee Kruger, and he's still not really involved with the show, but he does show up all, all every year. Okay. And, um, I got involved in it about 2000. Okay. And each year I started doing more and more. And by 2005, I was doing quite a bit of it. And I got a little bit tired of driving all the way to Seattle. Um, it made it really rough since I do work on Sundays. So I wasn't able to be able to part of the whole show. Okay. So I moved it to Portland in 2006. And by moving it there, we started getting a lot more vendors. And okay. so that's... Really, th- I thought that made was a good move for us. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've personally noticed that there's a lot of a lot of video game like used video game vendors around the Portland area a lot more than there are in Seattle because I'm from Seattle, and uh, uh, I noticed there's a lot of local vendors in this show it's, uh, that kind of pack it to the walls with yes. uh, classic games. So it's pretty it's pretty nice to see. And yeah, we, I, don't, I don't know what it is about Portland that retro games have just really. They're really huge here. Yeah. We have uh, the Ground Control Arcade, which is known nationally as one of the biggest and best retro arcades. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's just a huge following here for retro video games. And um, I'm at a loss for exactly what it is here. And it could be the climate. I don't know. But um, we definitely like it. And I think that's part of what makes our show so successful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A little bit more about... Uh, getting it started down here is when it first started it was pretty much me and rick going around and asking independent vendors um, i joined on about 2004 2000, 2005 i helped with the seattle shows a little bit but it was me and rick going around and asking independent uh, video game vendors in the area uh, store and non-store about a new show that we were going to have. Okay. And it was totally like taken out of a Blues Brothers movie or something. We were just driving around <laughs> and just talking to people. You know, CD Game Exchange, uh, obviously Video Game Wizards was, was wonderful in, in helping us really get the ball rolling in the first couple of years. And uh, we just had amazing support here. Like Chuck, Chuck said, it is a wonderful area for, for, for retro yeah. video games. And it's just uh, the community really supports it. Yeah, uh, one of the co-hosts of our show uh, is a humongous video game collector. She moved up here from Georgia a few years ago and said that her she's had a lot of success finding parts of her collection once she got up here. Uh, she's now, I think she's after yesterday, I think she's 11 carts away from a complete NES collection. Uh, she's got her complete N64 loose cart collection. So she, she loves this show. She comes here and manages to find, somehow manages to find something new every time she comes in That's here. Awesome. So. 
but um, so that being said, what what do you guys do outside the show? What are your what are your a a maybe your hobbies? You know, other than video games, if you have them, or um, what are your what are your day jobs? What is there besides video games? Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> nice. That's fair. Um, I, I guess I'll start. Um, I have a typical full time nine to five job mm-hmm. um, as a web website manager for a local telephone company. Okay. Um, and I think that some of that skill set that I use at that job helps me out with the uh, game expo. Otherwise, it would it would probably not work for me. Um, so it, sometimes it's a little challenging when it gets close to the show because I, I do have that um, responsibility, you know, every day uh, to also do this stuff. But um, like I said before, I, I really like it. So uh, it, it's worthwhile. And it's, it, what really is worthwhile for me is when we have the show and I see everyone having a good time. And then I'm like, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll do it next year. <laughs> um, yes, uh, I deliver books and magazines uh, to all the major retailers, you know, like okay. Safeway, Fred Myers, and all mm-hmm. those. I work as a counselor at a community mental health in Longview, Washington. So. Okay. Wow, that's a pretty diverse array of jobs outside the this convention i guess that's one of the things that video games does for us right is has that brings us all together crosses all cultures yeah um this is my first portland retro con i I came here because uh my co-host was talking about it from the last couple of years coming down um and I was actually really surprised uh, by it, the, by the size, the the sheer amount of stuff here. We had also gone to Classic Gaming Expo in Vegas, um, and not to put too fine a point on it, was pretty disappointed uh, in that convention. And having that convention set the expectation for us coming here uh, was really impressed. Um, what? What about this show has surprised you over the last few years? It, maybe in its growth or the people that have come in. What What are the what are the things that kind of catch you about this show? <clears throat> I think uh, the the first year, the, the first time I was really shocked was last year when they opened the doors at 9 a.m. and this human wall walked in the door, <laughs> and I was just and it didn't stop. It just continued to flow in the room until the whole room was full of people. And I was like, who are these people? And where were they last year? (laughs) Uh, Because I don't know what we did. I mean, we moved the show from out by the airport to downtown, and I think that made a big difference. We paid attention to what our um, people were saying from previous shows, which was the show's not near public transportation, the show's not near any food, the show's not near an ATM machine, and those are all things that we need to um, keep people at the show. Mm -hmm. So we moved to downtown last year. Um, or here to the Lloyd District. And man, I was just blown away at the growth that we saw and the, the number of people who came in and who were passionate and who just um, would come up and pat you on the back and say, you know, this is great and fantastic. And you know, you're feeling like you're barely keeping the wheels on the wagon sometimes. And, but <laughs> everyone, they, they look past the, the problems, most people, and they see like just a really awesome show and, and I really do appreciate that I, I appreciate all the attendees who come here and um, you know spend their weekend with us mm-hmm. like you said how understanding you know I help run the tournaments and there's all sorts of glitches over there or systems breaking or controllers and I've never you know I've never had anything stolen 
I mean, other, it's it's all. Wow, you know, that's actually I've, really impressive. I've always had it. You know, it's it's typically I find it six months later in a box because <laughs> I, I had no energy left to like even think of where I put it. Yeah. And so I I've never had anybody really get super upset. They've been pretty understanding of you know their hiccups or crowding or. It, I love that. You know, it's just a it's a it's a wonderful environment to you know showcase video games. We have just games over there, just out on free free play, mm-hmm. and people are very respectful. Um, and you know, I, I just love that. It just makes me want to keep them being part of it. And, and that's actually really awesome. It's it's nice to see that kind of uh, respect of other people's stuff, uh, especially in a community like this. You know, in regard to to the comment about. You know, it sounds like you went to Vegas to CGE, uh-huh. and we were down there as well. And the comparison, um, I I think every show kind of has its own personality, uh-huh. and um, we've kind of gone into this mode where we want to invite um, the public, people who have a, a nostalgic interest in seeing video games, and. Um, I mean, CGE, I had a good time down there. It, it was a different show, yeah. and I'm not sure, you know, people different go with certain rounds. expectations. It's, it's a very collector-focused show, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the people there are, are friends, longtime friends, and they, mm-hmm. or they make connections online. So it's kind of hard to compare us to them. They're, they're a little different in their uh, focus. Um, well, that show started out as an Atari-centric show as well, it didn't did. it? Didn't Rich it? can probably give some background there. Yeah. Well, it originally started as a World of Atari. Okay. They had one show, and that was uh, 98, I believe. And um, after that year, they turned it into CGE. And okay. a new crew took it over. Yeah. I was going to add that, you know, that, that show really caters to a, a specific collector market. Yes. And mm-hmm. our show really caters to everybody. Yeah. And we get a little bit of, and really, you know, we have a great show where someone can come in. You know, a vendor was saying earlier today, I love that so, a lot of people just came up and bought stuff because they're playing this. They're grabbing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had an Atari as a kid or a Nintendo. And they're buying, you know, the three or four games that they remember and picking it up and buying it and going right home and playing it and reliving, you know, positive childhood memory or something. And that's typically like an example of our show. Mm-hmm. We also have collector, you know, ex- wonderful auction that uh, we had very, you know, very rare items in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, auction turned out wonderful yesterday. And, you know, we had a, like a you know, Halo three-foot statue from, from you know, point of, you know, point of sale, like rare uh-huh. statue stuff. We had laser di- laser active uh, video game player and the all-american team ps3 i noticed that one yeah. in there uh-huh. yes that's like only one of very few in existence that was pretty cool yeah there was some dispute as to how many exactly <laughs> there were on that. but well we'll leave it at very few because that can that's pretty accurate yeah <laughs> but we also had stuff that just you know a bunch of sega stuff and nothing was typically rare in that but but it was popular and it was bid upon and it was ha- the person who won it was you know very happy to get yeah. a lot of Sega stuff inexpensively. You know, we we kind of cater to both markets. I think that's what I love about this show. Yeah, and yeah. we've worked. You know, the organizers of the show have worked really hard. Yeah, you know, thousands of hours of time and preparation to make it that way. Mm-hmm. I noticed that yesterday, and I, I don't know if you guys have ever has saw this. There, there was a kid in there, probably, he looked like he was probably five, who was a Sonic nut, wearing a Sonic uh, plushy hat, and every booth he stopped at, he, like there was one particular booth in the back that had a box of Sonic 
frankly junk. It was just like random Sonic stuff that had Sonic branded stuff. And this kid, I've never seen somebody so excited for this box of crap. He was just like, yeah, yeah, pulling everything out of the box. And just his dad was like having to put stuff back in the boxes. His kid pulled it out. It was like, yeah, Sonic stuff. Uh, that kind of stuff is pretty cool to see. Every year we've had the show, I've seen that more and more often. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a seven-year-old son, that, and he comes to the show and hangs out all day now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see a lot of that, and moms and dads bringing their kids. Um, I see a lot of kids where it was obviously the kid who wanted to come to the show, mm-hmm. and the mom's just there as a chaperone. <laughs> and so they're kind of dragging them around. I'm like, man, that's really amazing that this, like, obviously 10-year-old kid has wanted to come to this show, which is a lot of really older games that came out well before that kid was born. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you see these little moments, like in the in the free play room where uh, there'll be a dad and a son or a dad and a daughter or whatever combination sitting at a game, and um, the dad's explaining, this is a game I played when I was a kid. And so they're, they're going past the brand-new systems or the newer stuff, and they're focusing on, like, an Atari or something mm-hmm. and, and sharing that kind of moment of... Uh, nostalgia for the dad and then you know the kids like oh this is really interesting yeah and i see those little moments happen all around the show it's kind of it's one of the things that keeps me going you know a little bit (laughs) yeah so that's a good that's actually a good place to segue into uh the question that i wanted to ask each of you how did each of you actually get into gaming in the first place like what was your first system how did you uh how did you get into video games mine in particular, was a Commodore VIC-20 back in the early 80s. My parents had one, nice. and I, I went through the whole Commodore progression before getting an NES. But what about you guys? You want to go, John? Radio Shack TV scoreboard was my very first. Wow. Um, it was a generic Pong unit because I think it was the only thing my dad would uh, justify spending upon to, to keep us happy. I think it was probably like you know 20 bucks. Uh-huh. Um, from then, I progressed to um, a Nintendo but at the same time, I was playing Atari at my cousin's. And so okay. Radio Shack TV scoreboard, official answer. Official answer. <laughs> it's a Pong clone. Okay. And it looks like a walkie-talkie with a little sidecar for the second player. Interesting. And uh, the funny thing about this system is that, you know, I always fought with my brother because my brother had all the, like, the switches on his controller. And uh, he could, like, you know, turn the system off if he was losing or something. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. You know, this, this video game system didn't have, you know, controllers. The controller was the system, you know. And it was Not a very egalitarian system at all. No. One person has complete control. Absolutely. <laughs> the other person is just a pawn. That's, yeah, and, and uh, you know, and it's pretty neat because, you know, we, we have that system here. You know, I've seen it several mm-hmm. places. It's pretty common. But I've seen it several, several vendors having it, so it's pretty neat. <laughs> Kind of the same thing as pushing the reset button on an NES. Playing uh, a two-player. So, yep, absolutely. Or pulling the controller out. We can't forget that one. So, oh, I, I've never done that, though. Sure. <laughs> what about you, Rick? Uh, I started out uh, real young playing uh, pinball machines, and um, my parents didn't really like me being in arcades, so mm-hmm. in 77 of Christmas, they, they bought me an Atari 2600, and that pretty much kept me uh, home all the whole time. Nice. I... Interesting story. When I was a kid, um, every kid in my neighborhood had an Atari 2600, but my parents uh, would not buy me one. And the reason they gave was that, um, and it was totally bogus in retrospect, you know, I, I look back. The reason they gave was that the Atari would burn in an image on the CRT of our television <laughs> and ruin it. So we, you know, it would, would ruin the television. And um, 
you know, they just didn't want to buy me an Atari for whatever <laughs> reason. They thought I would sit in front of it all day or, you know, maybe it was too much money or something. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I did, get, I did get to play Atari, you know, because all my friends had it. But um, my first system that I got was um, when the, uh, the TI-99-4A, the Texas Instruments Home Computer, oh. uh, when that started to go downhill and they dropped the price to like 100 bucks. I think my dad went to Sears and bought me one of those. <laughs> and uh, for my birthday, and so my first game was Parsec, the TI-994A, and <laughs> I had the speech synthesizer, so it talked, and it was awesome. I, mean, I love that game. I just and the joysticks for that system are like, I think I have carpal tunnel syndrome to this day from those joysticks. They're <laughs> really? absolutely horrible. They're not user friendly. No, but uh, <laughs> we actually have one set up now. I I asked John to bring his and set up because I was like, we gotta have this system because yeah. it's just so. Um, obscure and and I, I also learned to program in basic on that computer so it, it served two purposes to educate me on one side and rot my brain and destroy my wrists on the other I learned how to program in basic on a Commodore too nice my mom used to my mom used to buy Commodore magazine and they'd have pages of code that you could just oh, copy in and awesome. make games so many games that came out of that magazine and so. then you mistype like one variable so you have to go back and find it yeah yeah, yeah. Good it's crazy <laughs> So uh, then, then I'll go. I'll go with a follow-up question. That's the simple and stupid one. What's what's your favorite game? You know, I get asked this question a lot, and I never answer the same. Um, <laughs> it's it's so fleeting. But I'm going to go with uh, um, today with Atari Twenty Six Hundred Warlords. Really? And the reason I like that game is because it is um, a four-player game, and it's so simple. Yet you could play it with three friends for a long time and have mm-hmm. a really great time. Um, great competitive game, and I think it was probably the one of the just pinnacle games of the 2600 because of its simplicity and yet the ability to engage people for long periods of time. It's the one where there's a castle in each corner of the screen, and you have a little uh, uh, your character is a little guard that kind of can spin around the castle and there's a ball that bounces around the screen and eats away at everyone's castle okay okay now your job is to protect the the, your king inside the castle and so the the ball every time it hits your castle a chunk of it disappears Mm -hmm. and so it's whoever's left and their king hasn't been destroyed at the end of the game is the one that that wins it and uh so it is like really it's just incredible game and if if uh, anyone listening to this podcast has an opportunity um to check out a uh, there's a homebrew called medieval madness which is uh based medieval on mayhem medieval mayhem Sorry. thank you no you're uh, thank you for correcting me on that right. um and medieval mayhem is uh um kind of they've taken warlords to the next level and it's a game where um i am amazed at what the Atari 2600 platform can do when I when I play that game I'm like this is amazing I mean yeah. they've just gone the music that's in it and the animation is uh, is amazing so um, any Warlords fans out there check that homebrew out awesome what about you Rick well even though I'm a huge Atari 2600 fan um, I think my very favorite game of all time would have to be uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 for the with the Nintendo. Um, nice. I probably played that game for two years, maybe two and a half years straight. It's, I just loved the game. That awesome. is a great game. Yes. I'm a big fan. I always give the same answer, and it, it's, it's, there's, there's no comparison to Atari 7800 Robotron 2084. <laughs> and the little, the little side story is I have a little address label 
on my TV that I play co-op with my friend John Rose. Okay. And we, whenever he comes up, we try to play it. We've played it a couple times, uh, several hours, and try to see what our high score is. Nice. Um, and we just write it down on this little address label on the TV because obviously the 7800 <laughs> can't keep a high score unless it has like a modification. And so we just write <laughs> down our score, what we get, and try to beat it. But it's a wonderful, wonderful classic game. And yeah. the, the 7800 version is, is great and inexpensive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, moving on, I think we'll, uh, we'll start to wrap up. But I, I, I did have a question for you guys. Where... Um, where do you see this show going in the next few years? Uh, do you still see room for more growth beyond even what uh, we've got today? Uh, what kinds of things would you like to see at the show, like added, or um, and what are your, you know, where do you kind of see it going from here? Well, um, I think the answer is probably yes, and we all are we're a pretty democratic group, and we all um, agree to meet and discuss these things amongst ourselves and come to a consensus. But I would say that. The consensus is probably that we do want to grow and that we expect mm-hmm. growth of the show. Um, and that probably means a larger venue at some point to mm-hmm. start moving into larger spaces and maybe segmenting some of the parts of the show. Like um, we've in the past, we've had live music, but it's really hard to fit in if you don't have much room. It's something that, sure. that it's loud, so it's hard to put it right next to other things. Um, and then we have the live speakers, and currently they're in the same room with the tournament, and so there's a little bit of kind of crosstalk there. So um, I would say that our goal would be to move into a venue that allowed us to have a music venue section, a tournament area, um, an area for speakers, and um, give people a little more choice on what they can do when they, uh, when they come to the show. Um, have a really uh, concise schedule so our, our guests can come in and kind of plan out what it is exactly they want to do. Mm-hmm. We have been talking about uh, expanding the show into Seattle area also and doing two shows a year. Hey, I'm not going to argue with that. Be, <laughs> I'd, I'd be fine with that. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. That's... <laughs> we, really, we really are at a point where we have several wonderful organizi- organizers of the show, but yeah, we definitely... Um, space has been an issue. It's, it kind of has been for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we want to grow and include uh, you know, more arcades, yes. more um, aspects, uh, more classic computers, more even pin, possible pinball. You know, again, we're a democratic organization. We all talk about this before we like, officially decide on moving forward. But like, I think we're all we're we're all work really well together, and we want it to grow, and then we, we see potential there. And mm-hmm. it's just the, the question that, the big question is how, and and I think that we, we will definitely decide that. Um, if there are any large corporations that would like to step up and sponsor our show, <laughs> um, this would be a, a point where I'd like to to ask for that uh, <laughs> assistance, because um, there is a large cost associated with running a convention like this, and. Uh, a lot of us right now are, are absorbing the risk personally to make okay. the show happen. Um, every one of us here, I think, has um, you know put something up at risk to, to make the show happen, and you know we've been very fortunate that everything has come through fine, um, and the show's very popular. But um, one thing we do every time we have the show is we listen to the feedback from the guests mm-hmm. and we did a survey we actually did an online survey and we're going to do another one after the show um, this time but we asked a lot of questions like what do you want to play what systems do you like to see um, 
when we asked people, what do you want to, if you were to come to the show and you wanted to play games, like the free games that we have out, what would you most want to play? And we were pretty shocked by, um, I mean, the obvious ones were on there, like Nintendo Entertainment System and Super Nintendo and Genesis. Um, but the number one was uh, full-size arcade machines. People mm-hmm. wanted to come in. I'm like, really? Because they can go to ground control anytime you play those. But um, we are uh, very fortunate, again, in Portland to have a huge community. There's the Portland Arcade Collectors Group mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, uh, personal collectors who are happy to volunteer their time to bring their own machines down here at their own expense and their own risk uh, to, to make those available for people. And we really appreciate people stepping up and doing that for us. I mean, it, it, those people really make the show and... and uh, you know, we, I, I'm, I don't know if other towns have that kind of community of, uh, of collectors that are willing to, to put their own stuff up and, and share it with everyone. I think Seattle does to a point. I mean, I was about to say, if you guys ever come to Seattle, let me know because I've got five arcade <laughs> machines in my house and I wouldn't Absolutely. mind. Uh, I'd, I'd probably yeah. be one of those guys that would donate a couple of them for the show. Yeah, so. well, I'm probably being too specific when I say Portland. I think the whole Pacific Northwest is definitely like a Absolutely. video game mecca. And we go to the Portland pinball and, and arcade show up there as well. Seattle, I mean. Uh, uh, I said Portland. <laughs> That's okay. The Seattle like, uh, uh, Arcade pinball and Pinball and Game Room Arcade, show. Arcade, and, Arcade and Pinball Yeah, show. I can't remember the yeah, exact yeah. name, but uh, that show is fantastic. It's one of my favorites because mm-hmm. um, I don't get to play pinball very often, so it's a good yeah. chance. Wonderful to, uh, show. It's, yeah, it, yeah, we really like it. that one. Well, there's also, of course, the PAX show up there that oh, is yeah. huge. It's yeah. not really kind of like our show at all. It's, uh, you know, mostly modern uh, systems. And, sure. I mean, the numbers they do of people through the door is um, just mind-boggling. But we do think there's room in Seattle for a retro con like this. And, uh, you know, so you like ever Rick thought said, about partnering with PAX and doing a, doing a retro room at PAX? Well, they, it's interesting. They do have a retro room, and we have worked with them we, in we, the past. Yeah, we've helped supply mm-hmm. a lot of, like, I brought my Neo Geo from my personal collection up there this last year okay. in a kind of an obscure console, a Pong console. But, yeah, we, we helped them supply. We actually used to run it, their, mm-hmm. their retro room, and then we kind of we had a, a, a previous NWCGE member kind of help organize uh, um, Stock, so they have a game stock of old consoles and systems that people can check out there. Right. So we have partnered with them in the past, and it, you know, again, I think it's uh, it, it's a, it's kind of a different environment. It, yeah, definitely. It's a different environment. I think that you know we'd, we'd obviously have to talk about this, but like I said, we <laughs> we're open to growth. We, I guess the question is the bit, I go back to the word how, and and um, you know I think I don't, I'm optimistic that we will grow, and and we just have to talk about how that's going to look. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys very much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your out of your second day of the con in the morning to to do an interview with us. Uh, is there anything else that any of you guys wanted to touch on before we wrap all this up? You know, I would just like to again thank our uh, attendees for coming out to the show and making it so great for us. Um, everyone's been really fantastic, and I know uh, um, you know there may be some challenges um, coming down here downtown venue um but everyone's been really great and uh i'd also like to thank our volunteers we have a um a contingent of about 40 volunteers this year and these are people who for no compensation to themselves come down and spend time with us um doing jobs that um arguably are not fun (laughs) standing at doors um unloading trucks and they come down and they do it and with a smile on their face and uh um i really 
you know, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank those guys for, for everything they do. Absolutely. And, and, and one more thing I want to throw in here is that, uh, uh, and Rick mentioned this before, one of the, um, the, the groups, I guess, that, that has made this show happen um, year after year is uh, a local store called Video Game Wizards. And they have really put a lot of the, um, the energy and financial backing behind the show um, to make it happen. And if they weren't around to do that, I'm not sure we would, this we would be happening. It would have never happened. Yeah, it would, it would not be what it is at all, if, if it even existed. Well, again, thank you guys very much, and uh, we'll see you on the show floor. All right. 